97 South's Storytellers features conversations with professional songwriters and seeks to pull back the curtain on the art, craft, and career of songwriting. We'll bring you to those magical moments of creativity that have delivered the inspiring songs that make up the soundtrack of our lives. Hi, I'm Paul McGuire, and today I'm talking to Grammy Award-winning Country Music Hall of Famer Tim Nichols. You might not know Tim Nichols' name, but if you're a country music fan, you definitely know his music. A Grammy-winning songwriter and Country Music Hall of Famer, he has written number ones for Terry Clark, Joe DiMessina, and Alan Jackson, and changed Tim McGraw's career with his iconic song, Live Like You Were Dying. Hailing from Portsmouth, Virginia, Tim currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee. It feels so much more formal than other, like, podcasty things I've done with so many, there's bodies and there's cameras. It's because, Tim, you're a big deal. I think that's what we've established. You make no mistake, I'm a very big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, right. let's, let's start with how you're doing. How is, um, you know, there's a question of longevity, and you've had a, such a long career and been working at such a high level for such a long time. And the idea of inspiration is something that I've been talking to artists about, particularly in the aftermath of 2020 and 2021, and people were having a hard time finding inspiration because in order to be inspired, they need human interaction. Yes, I feel like I'm all about input wherever I can find it. And so whether that be travel, which like you're speaking to, we haven't been able to... I'm always listening to books, try to go to movies, television, whatever I can do to find input. Because day in and day out, it's output. Every day I'm showing up, whether it be Zoom for the past couple of years, it's all about output. So however I can find input, and it'll, even if that's going for a walk in the Percy Warner Park here in Nashville, it's just wherever you have to find it. And so sometimes that is a, you have to go looking. Um, and I think that's a big part of it is just being available and showing up. I think at the level of songwriting that we're doing here in Nashville, those of us that are making it or living that way, it's about showing up and you must be present to win. Okay, so uh, throwing it all out there right off the top. I like that. You got to be present to win. Thems are fighting words right there. And I love that, man. I mean, but that's your attitude, right? That always has been. 100%. I mean, you've probably, I may have talked about it before. The day Craig Wiseman and I wrote Live Like You Were Dying, we had no idea we were going to write that song that day. It just came about, I was telling Craig a story that I'd heard the day before about a friend of ours who'd had a health scare. And it came from that. And it wasn't like I walked in or Craig said, hey, man, I've got this, I've got this great idea called Live Like You Were Dying. It didn't happen that way. We just showed up that day like we did every day trying to write the best song that we could. And so that's how it happened. And I've said many times that day started like any other day. And since then, it's been like no other day. Okay, so normally I'd wait till kind of the end to talk about like advice that you would give somebody if they were trying to carve out a career as a songwriter. But I mean, right off the top, you're giving the advice. It's you got to show up. You got to be there right. all the time to take advantage of the fact. Because if you hadn't been there with Craig that day and mentioned that thing, your life would be drastically different. 
I'll talk to new writers from time to time, and that's the first piece of advice I always offer. You must be present to win, and it's not about waiting for inspiration. You have to show up, and hopefully the inspiration will come to you. That's a different methodology in songwriting. If you are already aware that you are capable of being a songwriter and you want to pursue that as a career, and you understand that it's a, a business, and it's not just something that you're doing like jotting down ideas in a journal and strumming yes. your acoustic guitar or whatever as a hobby. This is the advice that you give to people. You have to show up and you don't, you don't if you, even if you don't have poetry ready to go, even if you are hunting for inspiration, just show up in the room because things might happen. Because when you're writing every day, you can't have that many ideas. They go too fast. When, when, right. If you have an idea, what you think is a great idea the night before, then you're going to write it the next morning. So when you're writing at that level, so many times you just have to have faith that you're going to show up and you're going to start talking with your co-writer and maybe, just maybe they've broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> and you can find something that their dog got lost or their truck <laughs> broke down. Which, you know, there's that old joke about what you get when you play a country song backwards. Your yes. dog back, your truck back, your wife back, all that. Yes, yes. The other thing is talking to new writers. They will be meeting publishers for the very first time. And they're playing their, their new songs for their publishers, for a publisher, trying to get a publishing deal. And when the publishers don't jump up and down and they don't love your songs... Don't take that personal because they don't mean it personal. When you play a song for a new publisher for the first time, they're hoping that your song will be great. They want it to be great because they want to be able to sign it and then possibly go get it recorded and be a yeah. big hit. And that's how they keep the doors open. So they want to love your songs. They want your songs to be great. The thing is, writing great songs is not the easiest thing to do. And it takes... Part of the process for me is I've written like lots of bad songs. And then eventually you learn what needs to go in a song as well as what needs to not go in a song. And it's just like exercise, working a muscle. And I also feel like early on writers have a defense mechanism that they don't really know at the time how not good their songs are. Because if we did, we probably would stop. It's like, I suck. This is terrible. I got to do something else. I need to learn a skill, a trade. But so many times, and especially then you're playing your songs for your mom or your girlfriend or whatever, and that's, they love your songs – and so you, of course, love your songs, and so you keep showing up. You keep writing songs, and little by little, they begin to get good and yeah. where they need to be. So you've had so many of your songs recorded by so many different artists. Is there a Tim Nichols sound? Is there a Tim Nichols vibe? So I have been in writer's rooms before when I've had a song, a new song that was on the radio, 
and they said, man, I knew that was your song. Ah. And so what you're speaking to has happened before. And I feel like through the years, my songs tend to be visual, and, and a lot of times there is a story, whether it be brotherly love or the band I want to be, yeah, or or obviously live like you were dying. Heads Carolina. There's that s- story of like, let's get out of here, let's go somewhere. It's cinematic. I'll, oh, I like that cinematic. Yeah, yes, perfect. I'm going to use that. So you never really recognized it yourself right away. Somebody else had to point it out to you. That's true. That's interesting. That's right. You see, yeah, because as writers, we just show up and do what we do. Yeah. And that's another story for as far as new writers. Yeah. Find out who you are. Write your song. Write your story, your life. And you will find that many times the more personal and the more granular that story or that lyric is, the more global it is to audiences out there. Because the thing is, when I'm telling my story, you're hearing, you're seeing your story. And to me, that's the beautiful thing about songwriting and storytelling, which is what we do. Yeah. I feel like, to a degree, I'm a storyteller. And there's something about songs and stories that is, is inherently wired, hardwired in human beings. It's all about a great story. Well, look, I mean, you can go back thousands of years, scrawled on cave walls, yeah, are stories. Well, look what you and Mr. Wiseman uh, created uh, with the aforementioned song "Live Like You Were Dying," which came from a very personal place. And God, I've talked to songwriters so many times over the years where they were concerned that a subject matter that they were attacking was so unique and personal to them that it might not be immediately relatable. And it's often those songs that become the most ubiquitous. Yeah, I just think it's so, in this climate that we're living, that we find ourselves, there are so many labels that culture, society, that we even put on ourselves. But ultimately, when you cut through all of that, in our hearts, in our souls, in our bones, we are all people. And so I feel like those stories, no matter how personal you feel like they are to you, those are the songs that will resonate. That's And that's what you're speaking to. Okay, so let me ask you this. How old were you when you wrote your first song? I would have been a teenager. Yeah? Okay, so it's been a minute. So, t- so I mean, I mean, 20 years. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Plus 20, plus 20. Excellent. So. Give or take. It's been a minute. Are there still moments of discovery for you? 100%. They happen fairly often. Every day when we're writing a song and somebody comes up with an idea, it's like, okay, what is that saying? How do we get at that? And so it's basically finding the key that fits the lock and that opens up the idea. You know, that moment of discovery, we need to have those I mean, basically with every song, how can we get at this a little different? What does this song want to be? You know, another thing that we want to do as writers is let, we'll say, 
what does the song want to be? Let the song lead the way. Where is it taking us? You know, as opposed to sometimes you can tell from the title of a song, for example, Heads Carolina, Tails California sounds sounds like upbeat and up-tempo and positive. That doesn't sound like a sad country song. I'm Over no, You, right. the Keith Whitley song that I had early on, on the other hand, sounds a little more dark, a little more sad and whiskey-laden. Yeah. So you've a lot of times you just chase that title and find that, that like I said, that combination to where this song opens up and presents itself. Do you still have the moments of frustration where you're struggling to find that, yeah. that revelation? Yeah, it's just part of the process. It comes with the job. And there are moments, there are those yeah. days when it's just all... It's just all coming down from heaven or wherever it comes from. And you'll finish a song yeah. and I'll say, man, there's nothing to this songwriting. And then there are those other days where it's, uh, I'm thinking what I wouldn't give for one original thought. So it's part of that. Yeah. These are both sides of the coin. And you are thankful for the days when it's just all there right in front of you. And you just keep working on the days that it's not. But ultimately, you have to love it. Yeah. You have to love it because it's just too hard if you don't. And if you're about it because of the money, if you're chasing the money, it's like, oh, I think I can make a lot of money writing songs. That's true. You can make a lot of money writing songs, but it it's too hard and it takes too long, generally speaking, to get to the money. So if that's what you're after, if it's just the money you're after, you need to go do something else, be an attorney, be a doctor, be whatever. But the songwriting thing, you have to be able to be comfortable with rejection because still, as long as I've been doing it, still nine times out of 10, I'm hearing no. And at this point, publishers, they don't, or, or, or artists, more so artists and labels these days, when they pass on a song, it's just not the song they're looking for that particular day. It's not they're saying, well, it's a bad song or we don't like you. It's not that. You know, it's just not the song they're looking for that particular day. But still, I'm hearing no a lot. Uh, you just said nine times out of 10. Is that a fairly accurate ratio? 90% of the songs you write so. don't yeah, get it's, Yeah, I'd say up? so. Do you think that's a pretty good like overview of the music industry as a whole? I tend to think probably so. I mean, you'll go to the Bluebird, you can go... To, That's amazing. Yeah, That's right? amazingly insightful. Yeah, you have, to, you have yeah. to write a lot of... You have to write a lot of songs. Yeah. So, I mean, you can go to the Bluebird on any given night hearing any incredibly successful songwriter and they'll play you a song that will just knock your socks off and it's just amazing. And it's like, did you just write that? You'll think they had to 
have written it just last week because it's too good. Otherwise, it would have been cut. Yeah. And they'll say, no, man, that's about 12 years old. And and everybody yeah, everybody has them. It's hard to get songs, songs cut. I heard uh, Chris Stapleton recently talked about a full album that he recorded before Traveler that never saw the light of day. And I'm like, there's an cr- unreleased Chris Stapleton album. So Sta- album. talking about Stapleton, you know, he just won a, several Grammys, one for Best Country Song. That's right, yeah. Called Cold. Yep. And he was saying that he had tried to record that on a, a couple different records. And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't even make the record. And so now this record, it, it made the record, and now he has a Grammy for Best Country Song. So you just, you just, you don't know. This is one of those things, Tim, where, you know, it's so many songwriters I've talked to over the years say, if I hadn't gotten up, and this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of showing up. If, if you didn't get up and get out of bed early and make that one appointment, if you said, oh, you know what? My buddy wanted to go fishing today or, uh, or we, we wanted to go uh, out late last night and go drinking or whatever, and we were going to miss the morning session. I was thinking about doing that. I'm glad I didn't miss that morning session because I wrote, live like you were dying that day. Right. Now, Paul, I also have a story when I didn't show up. I have one of those stories. Okay. Okay. All right. right. Cautionary tale, everybody. Get ready. I was uh, supposed to write with Josh Leo, who is a good buddy of mine, a dear friend. So Josh Leo, for one, he produced Fishing in the Dark. That guitar lick is Josh. Yep. He's played with... Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> for like six years, he was in the Jimmy Buffett's band. At one point, he was an art at, at a record executive for RCA, during which he signed Martina McBride. So Josh is a talented guy. He produced yeah. a, he produced a ton of Alabama hits, and so we were supposed to write. So actually, Josh and I and Dustin Lynch wrote Cowboys and Angels together the first day we laid eyes on each other. So so Josh and I were supposed to write, just the two of us. And he said, I've got this idea I've been saving for you. Something came up, and I had to cancel. So he saved it. So we rescheduled. So he's saving this idea for me. And this never happens, but I had to cancel again. Twice I had to cancel and Josh. Well, Josh yep. figured Screw him. I'm going to write I'm just going to write the song myself. And he did and Kenny Chesney cut it. Come on. Yeah. So don't cancel on Josh Leo. <laughs> In your face, Tim Nichols. I know, right. Take <laughs> yeah. that. The only name says written by Josh Leo. Let's go. So I work in a radio format where we're trying to get stories from people who are listening. There's music, the format's all over the place, but we're trying to get stories. So we're talking about things, lighthearted things, and we're trying to come up with new topics every day. I feel like I'm experiencing a little bit of what sometimes, not writer's block necessarily, but a version of that, because there are only so many ways that you can talk about heartbreak or true love or being away from home, you know, because you're touring or whatever it is. So I'm wondering, how do you, deal with those days when you feel like you don't have a story to tell? How do you crack through that? Well, a lot of times it is that we just talk, and we're just talking about what's going on in our, in our lives. 
And then there's always lunch. Lunch is always very valuable. You say talking is important. Talking is important. So this, this is one of the things I experienced as well being down in Nashville. And one of the things that shocked me was I was, I think I was outside the writer's rooms for like maybe 45 minutes or an hour. And I didn't hear a guitar strum. I didn't hear a piano. I didn't hear any instrumentation whatsoever. All I heard was voices and laughter. Oh, there's right. And, uh, right. and that's, that's a big part of it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it is, it's again, our just, we're just sharing our lives. And so a lot of times we're just talking about what is going on, whether it's a trip we've been on, whether it's some class reunion, an anniversary, whatever. Yeah. We're just talking about our lives. And so many times while one of us is talking, we'll say something and that will resonate with the other writer. It's like, or it'll be talking. So we're making conversation, small talk at the beginning of the day. And then when we get to ideas, a lot of times we'll go back to, hey, man, there was something you said earlier when you were talking about telling the story. Yeah. And we'll draw from that. It's just part of the the process. You just have to keep digging and it just is what it is. It just comes with the territory. Are you one of those guys that has um, a notebook around or an idea book or a, a, a little a file on your phone where you will jot down an yeah. idea or a title song or anything like that? Sure. And so I, was, I mentioned Cowboys and Angels a little while ago. I yeah. had this, and I still carry it, this old kind of leather-bound journal that I would jot ideas in. Now it's easier to just put them in my phone. Yeah. Um, but I still carry that old journal. I had written Cowboys and Angels in that journal. And so the day Josh and I got together with with Dustin, first he was telling us his story, you know, where he grew up in Tullahoma, Tennessee. He went to Treveca University here in Nashville, so he'd have something to fall back on. Yeah. And so he was telling us that story, and then we got around to, do you have any ideas? And so he said that he didn't. Even though he really did, he said he didn't. And yeah. so then, at that point, then I started tossing tossing out ideas, which he didn't really like. And that I got, I was looking <laughs> through, I was looking through that journal yeah. and I said, Hey man, here's a title that I've been wanting to write. And I said, it's called Cowboys and Angels. And he said, what? Let me see that. So I held the book up and it's like, see right there. He said, man, you're not going to believe this. That's the idea I wanted to write today. But I was just too nervous. I'd never met y'all before. I was too nervous. I was afraid you wouldn't like it. At that point, Josh said, well, I guess we know what we're writing today. And so yeah. we wrote that song, and it went on to be his first single, his first hit, and kind of still one of his, you know, biggest songs. Yeah. Where, where did the, uh, where did that, where did those two words stick together for you? I, where did that come from? It just came, I don't know. Really? I, I don't know. They just came to me together one day. That's a valid answer, by the way. I don't know I don't in the world know. of songwriting, I think is a totally valid answer. That's as I don't know. honest <laughs> as I can be, Paul. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to have some great story of, well, I used to be a cowboy back in the day. And I, yeah. <laughs> but you could, I'm not, no. 
No, it's good. But you were it's, talking it's, it's about uh, since you've got your radio gig and you're looking for new ideas and whatnot, because we talk about that a lot in terms yeah. of song ideas, because we're always trying, like you, how can we find something different that we haven't talked about before? Then when you listen to radio, and if you're, you also lately, or over the past several years, I should say, there have been lots of songs about small towns and drinking beer and trucks and I thought many times, well, you can't write another song about that. Yeah. But yet they keep showing up on the radio, <laughs> and they keep being hits. Yeah. And so I was trying to, it's like, what is that? Why does that keep happening? Right or wrong, what I've discovered or decided, I feel like you take a guy that likes to drink beer, and he drinks beer every weekend. And after he finishes one, he just, what does he want? He wants another. <laughs> and so every weekend, if a guy drinks beer and watches sports, watches ESPN, that's what he likes. So he never says, man, I've drank enough beer and I've watched enough ESPN. They don't say that. He doesn't say that. No. He just wants another one. And I think the reason that these songs keep being recorded and keep being hits is because they resonate with the country listener. Because so many of those country listeners, they grew up in small towns, and they rode in trucks, and they drive dirt roads. And so they don't get tired of those songs. They just want another. They just want to hear another one because they— hear themselves in those songs. Have you seen it eat people up before? The stress that the industry can put on some people. Have you seen people just hit a wall and not be able to get through it again? I mean, I feel like it is a tough business. And Nashville, as wonderful and great as it has been for me, and it's given me this wonderful life, We've all known people who have been here, and for whatever reason, things just didn't go like they had hoped. And a lot of times— right. People, people who, who on, on paper have all the, the talent and the, all of that stuff, who, just for some reason, yeah. Right, who absolutely have just as much talent. But for whatever reason, things just don't go their way. And, and sometimes you can just tend to get— Bitter. My buddy yeah. Mark Sanders, he said, I've heard him say it more colorful, sometimes their grapes get sour. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and it's unfortunate when that happens. And thankfully, at least the folks that I know and see and work with on a daily basis, sure, we're having our regular dose of rejection but along the way, there's still enough positive, you know, right. that, that keeps you going. Now, for me, I've been, I'm the guy that my glass is always half full. It's just who I am. It's who I've always been. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I have two younger brothers, and our dad, who is gone now, always said, you guys can do whatever you want. You can be anything you want. You just have to be willing to 
sacrifice and work hard. And so a couple years before he passed away, it was after Live Like You Were Dying. So he and my dad and my mom were both still alive when that happened. And so they got to see all that. The stuff that Live Like You Were Dying had given me, the Grammy and the CMA and the ACM and all of those things. And he said, did you ever think this could happen? And I looked at him and I said, yes, absolutely. I absolutely (laughs) thought that it could happen and believed that it could. What he had forgotten that I reminded him is like, and dad, the reason I thought that, the reason I thought that it could happen is because you told me it could. And so I just think that's a wonderful gift that as parents we can give our children the permission for them to believe in themselves. And and by, thankfully my dad gave me that permission at a time when, you know, I mean, a job, Dad, I want to I want to get in the music business. You know, not a lot. You know, I've heard, I've heard stories, parents like, young man, you get a real job. Now, thankfully, yeah. my dad never told me to get a real job. He told me to get a haircut, but yeah. he never told me to get a real job. Well, Dustin Lynch's parents, go get a degree, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a common thread that you see amongst the songwriters that you work with on a regular basis, the people that you admire and respect and consider peers is there are there commonalities everybody loves music and i feel like to a degree music has to choose you back in addition to we we all come to nashville yeah. i mean so many of all of my writer buddies i don't think any of them are from nashville we all came here from someplace else because we had to because that music was in us and we knew that we couldn't do what we needed to do. In my case, I moved here from Springfield, Missouri. And so I had met a guy's name is Cy Simon and he was an independent publisher. He had a small publishing company here in Nashville, but he was based in Springfield. And so I'd met him and I was playing him my bad songs and, and I had a band at the time and I was kind of, complaining to him that nobody there in Springfield was really serious enough. They wanted to still have their full-time job and just play on the weekend. And he said, Tim, if you want to hunt tigers, you have to go where the tigers are. And I've repeated that quote because it resonated with me so, so much. And that was one of those aha moments where the light bulb went off. And so I knew that I couldn't stay in Springfield, Missouri. If I was going to hunt tigers, I had to go where the tigers were. So I packed up and I moved to Nashville. And so I, like so many other of my songwriter friends, and then I think when you get here, somehow or other, the music has to choose you back. The muse has to present itself to you. And I think for sometimes for all of the people that move here, for all of those folks that for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. And so many times talent 
is not the determining factor, as you know. I, I sure do. Um, <laughs> as if anybody knows. I sure do, baby. <laughs> no, I'm with you. You know, I mean, Tim McGraw and Chesney and all those guys, they will tell you there are lots of people that sing better than them that are out there all over, anywhere. But again, it's just there's more to it than that. Rusty Gasta, my publisher, has said for years it's not a talent contest. So there's so much other that goes into it. Being able to know what a great song is when you hear it for you. And that's the other thing that what makes those guys, Tim and Kenny and those guys so great, is they know what is a great song for them. That is so insightful. I know, right? The music industry itself is not a talent competition. That is so insightful. If we have time for for one more quick story that... Please, yes. Several years ago, Kix Brooks said, uh, man, did I ever tell you that story about the ACM Awards show that Tim debuted your song? I said, no, man. So he said, that, you know, they're all backstage. They're all hanging out. They see each other. And he said they were, they were all hanging out. And Kix said he noticed that Tim seemed a little just kind of not his normal, chill, cool self. He seemed a little uptight to the point to where Kix then asked him, he's like, man, what's up with you tonight? You seem a little nervous. And he said that Tim told him, I'm going to debut what I think will be the song of my career tonight. And so the show's going on. Kix and Ronnie win duo of the year. They're in the media room they had a monitor of a live feed of the show and Kix said to the room, Hey, can we just stop? We'll take all the pictures. We'll answer all of your questions, but let's watch this. I love this. And so he said they were, you could have heard a pin drop, you know? And so McGraw debuted live like you were dying. Then Craig and I were there on the floor in the very back. And for me, that, has been my sweetest moment in the music business when he debuted that song that night. As great as it was to be on a stage getting a Grammy and an ACM award, CMA award, when he presented that song, it was my idea of perfection, of how you want your song to be presented. Tim, thank you so much for this. What a joy. And uh, your insight and your positivity and your optimism and your glass half full nature has always been infectious. Everybody knows that about you. Uh, it's no surprise that you, um, you don't need to go into a room with inspiration. You are the inspiration. Oh, thank you, pal. I appreciate no, that. No, you really are, man. And we'll see you in British Columbia this summer. Looking forward to it. Always great to be with you. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening. This has been Storytellers. Join me, Paul McGuire, live this summer with Kim Mitchell, Glass Tigers' Alan Frew, 5440's Neil Osborne, and many others for an experience you'll remember always. The 97 South Song Sessions Songwriters Festival is happening this July, the 21st to the 23rd, in Penticton, British Columbia's incomparable wine country, an intimate bluebird-style music performance that features songwriters in the round, playing their hits and relating stories of a life in music. Tickets and information at 97southsongsessions.com. Download the free Stingray Music mobile app and listen to the 97 South Song Sessions channel today. Stingray Music, life's on you, music's on us.